Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's podcast program, Conversations on New Jersey Education. My name is Ray Pinning. I'll be your host for this uh, morning's uh, podcast. Uh, before we get started, I just want to tell you how you can participate. If you want to call in and ask a question of our guest, uh, you dial 1 347 989 8904 and press 1, and that'll indicate that you have a question. And then I will put you on. I don't have a screener today, so I'll, I'll identify you by the last four digits of your phone number. Or you could just log into our chat room. Uh, you have to register with a blog talk radio, but there's no fee for that. Uh, and you can just type in the question, and I'll pass it on to our guest. Uh, I'm excited about today's um, podcast because we'll be talking about later school start times, the science behind it, uh, the, the benefits if, from uh, the, the medical profession's um, uh, thoughts on this, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit the why of later start times, some of the obstacles. But uh, with me is Dr. Bert Mandelbaum, and uh, he is from uh, the Princeton. Uh, uh, what's my notes here on him? Uh, so uh, he's a pediatrician. Uh, Bert, uh, could you just uh, explain your background to us? Yeah, for sure. And uh, Ray, thanks for having me on. Um, so my name is Bert Mandelbaum. I am a pediatrician at Princeton Nassau Pediatrics. I've been in practice for about 18 years now. Um, I have a few other roles as well as being a full-time pediatrician um, in a large practice. I am the chairman of uh, the, the Department of Pediatrics at Penn Medicine Princeton Health and have been in that role since 2010. Um, I am also a school physician for two townships for both Montgomery and Hillsborough Township, um, and I just finished being president of the medical staff at Penn Medicine Princeton Health. Um, oh, and relative to this conversation, I am currently the chair of the New Jersey the New Jersey's American Academy of Pediatrics Task Force on Adolescent Sleep and School Start Times. Okay. Thank you. So uh before we get into adolescent sleep time, why do we generally need sleep uh, as it as uh human beings? Hello? Do I didn't hear you in that? Oh, okay. Why do we need sleep, uh, not just for adolescents? What's the importance of sleep? So sleep is super important. Um, I think it's in our society in 2019, I think sleep is very undervalued. So it is super important for everybody. Um, it is Sleep is a time when the brain is working really hard um, to process all the information that it took in through the day. So, um, you know, I'll usually liken it to you, you know, you hear it kind of, you're not using the computer and you hear the computer running in the background and it's sorting all the information and figuring out where to store it. So the brain is super active during sleep. Um, and we know that that, uh, is a imperative kind of part of education. It's also really important for so many other issues. So one of the things we'll talk about just in, in terms of sleep, there's there's lots of talks. There's some cool TED Talks on sleep that will show that lack of sleep is carcinogenic, so it, it increases your risk of cancer. Um, there's also, it is really bad for your health. They, there's studies that look at um, what does an hour of sleep make a difference? Um, and when we do things like with daylight savings, the 
the day we spring forward where we lose an hour of sleep, there's almost a 25% increase in heart attacks when you look at data kind of uh, worldwide and then or in places that spring forward. This is from ER data. And when you fall back and you get an extra hour of sleep, the opposite happens. There's almost a 25% decrease incidence of heart attacks. So um, sleep is super important for everybody. But then we also yeah, say but- it's really – really important for adolescents. Yeah, because what's different about their sleep pattern than, you know, uh, than an adult? Like, if I have to get up at a certain time, I can go to bed early. So what's different about adolescent sleep pattern? So I'll, I'll tell you, uh, there's a couple of different things. So the first thing, just about adolescents in general, um, will generally make the case that adults have to remember that adolescents are not just young adults or almost adults, um, it is a critical time for brain development. So uh, we know that the brain is developing up through probably the mid-20s, but probably the two most critical times of kind of this rapid brain growth and brain development is the first two years of life, so infancy into early toddlerhood. And really important. Uh, Ray, can you hear me? Yeah, you you went out for a second. I don't know if you hit your mute button by accident. Okay. No, 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 no. Yeah, my well, everything sounds fine on my end, I, and I apologize for that. Um, so the adolescent brain is, is a time for kind of um, rapid. Uh, it is a it is a really important time for brain growth. Again, it was infancy and then adolescence. So that just in general makes adolescence a little different. The other thing, though, that really makes adolescence different regarding sleep is that there is a change in their circadian rhythms at that time. So those circadian rhythms are what control when you sleep, how you sleep, um, and that is a shift in adolescence, making it really hard for them to go to sleep early. So um, my son, I think, suffered from this. He's uh, I would try to get him to go to bed early. He just couldn't – it wasn't that he, he – he just couldn't fall asleep until, like, it was pretty late in the evening. So that's a fairly common thing for a teenage boy? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, like – so, you know, I think everyone – this is – if there's a critical point of, like, the science of related to, like, adolescent sleep, this is probably it for the listeners is the – this kind of change in circadian rhythm. So um, the way that the body kind of initiates sleep is the release of a hormone named melatonin, which these days is relatively like, I think, a common refrain. You hear people saying they're taking melatonin to go to sleep. Um, and what happens is there is a shift in the release of melatonin um, in adolescence, and it is delayed, that shift. So where it's now really not being released till. 10, between 10 and 11, which means when you try to tell them, go to sleep early at 8.30 or 9, you got to get up early, they can't. Um, and that shift is about two hours, so depending on the person, it's you know two to three hours later than what normal adult melatonin releases. So um, it's it would be like telling an adult at 6 o'clock, um, you know, that's it. You got to get up early tomorrow, <laughs> you know, go shut the lights <laughs> off, go to bed, uh, which doesn't work. And Unfortunately, it's not just a shift at the end of the, you know, in the evening to kind of get you go to sleep. That shift follows through into the morning with awakening. So their melatonin, like the release of that is going through sunrise. 
which means as you're waking them up potentially hours before sunrise, their body physiologically is trying to make them stay asleep, which is why when you've had that experience of like shaking your son and trying to drag him out of bed, like he won't go. It's, it is very, very similar to imagining an adult who's trying to get up at three or four in the morning every day. That's what mm-hmm. it's like for an, for a adolescent who's trying to get up at, you know, 5:36 in the morning. Right, because uh, if the school starts at 7:30, they're not getting up at 7:25. They're getting up probably at least an hour before <laughs> that, depending on the bus schedule, I guess, too. If they well, take it a depending, bus. You, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we try to talk about this, like I think it's sometimes we forget to kind of work backwards and actually look at like pragmatically, what does it mean to a student when you set a school start time at a certain time? And, you know, if you think about the normal life for most adults who are getting up and going to wherever they were, you know, very few people roll out of bed and, you know, put a hat on and go right to work. Most people will get up and shower or eat breakfast and use the restroom and, you know, give themselves a moment to collect themselves and then they go and they commute to their job. So there's a time in there. Um, the adolescents who were asking to do all these things, you know, to make good decisions, to be educated, like they deserve the kind of the that same framework. So if we're going to work backwards and say a, a child needs to get up get ready. I mean, sometimes, you know, some of the kids really take a while. They want to make themselves look good. They are spending time on their hair or their outfits. You know, so if we give them 45 minutes to get up, get dressed and, you know, get ready to go, then they have to walk to the bus stop and then they have to take the bus to go to school. So it's it's at least 90 minutes before mm-hmm. school starts, you need to work back and say that child needs to get up. Um, and so, and sometimes more likely two hours. So yeah, if you're going to ask a child, if we're going to say that school is going to start at 7.30, these kids are getting, have to get up at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning, which means if they can't go to sleep till 11 o'clock at night, um, they're, they can't get what we think they need, which is at least eight, if not eight and a half to nine hours of sleep. Okay, let's uh, go into a couple of things. Um, well, before I get started into the sleep hygiene and the impact, do we always uh, – I, I, this seems like a new issue. Do we always go to school th- this early? Uh, I yeah. think uh, – I'm not sure if I went to school this early. Um, so um, – I don't know when you went to school, but I I went so I went. It was a to, long time ago. I took a horse and buggy. <laughs> right. Um, so the answer, the short answer is historically no. So there's no, this is, there was no kind of educational um, kind of plan to say, God, our kids will really do better if they go to school early, starting at 7:30, um, and when adults look back and say, we went to school early and we did fine, um, the the data really doesn't bear that out. So in the 50s and 60s, the school schools were 8.30 and 9 o'clock. As we went into 70s and really into the 80s, school times slowly shifted earlier. And they shifted earlier almost every single time just as a financial issue. So we, they it was a transportation issue and schools 
started to recognize that as their, the population increased and they had to increase busing um, and both either purchase more buses or have more bus drivers, what they could do is they could add another route in. So if they kind of staggered their school start times, um, they could use, they could have some cost savings from that. And so um, they then said, all right, let's just go earlier. And they made the adolescents suffer, which would, would have made a lot more sense to have the younger kids go earlier, which we could talk about at some point. But yeah. that's, so it came out of that. So no, it's, I'd say the last, since the 80s, this has been the thing. Um, and you're right that, so it's been there now, 30 years we've been doing it. It was only really, it was the late 90s that the first, Kyla Wallstrom, who is one of the researchers out of Minnesota, who um, started to look at this. I don't think before that there was much um, kind of recognition of it. Into the 2000s, um, they, uh, people slowly started to do this, and it really this concept really picked up steam um, in 2014. The American Academy of Pediatrics released a policy statement on this, followed by multiple other organizations releasing policy statements saying school should be later. So I think it is very current for us to be talking about it, um, but it is people just have not paid attention to it, you know, unfortunately for the last 20 or 30 years. All right. Um- and just for our listeners, uh, next week we'll be uh, having a podcast scheduled with uh, the District of Princeton, which adopted uh, later start times to see what their experience was. Um, so um, what's the neg- – well, first of all, what's the negative impact if an adolescent – and we're, we're going to focus more on adolescents uh, than we will on the younger kids because they have a slightly different sleep pattern too, right, the younger ones? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, the young, the younger ones get up, go to sleep early and get up early. Um so, you know, they're they're not um they're not suffering from um an educational perspective um by going to school later. They're just not getting a chance to play outside as much. Um mm-hmm. the adolescents are the ones who are suffering from sleep deprivation and um all the ramifications of that. What so what are some of the ramifications? ramifications and other problems if a student doesn't have enough sleep. Uh, pick your poison. So you name a <laughs> you name a ramification you want to say is a bad outcome, and I will tell you we could relate that to lack of sleep. So um, you know whether it is worse education. And we know because they're just sleep deprived, so sometimes they're just not showing up to school or they're showing up late. So um, we know it negatively impacts their grades. We also know that the flip side of this, as schools have changed and delayed school start times, um, they have seen improvement in grades. Uh, but then it's not just about grades. Um, the you know, kind of big buzzwords in 2019. Everyone is looking at the rise of mental health issues. So mm-hmm. we know that sleep is directly related to mental health issues, which is different than saying that all of this, all the increase in mental health issues are not being caused by sleep deprivation. I'm well aware of that, that there's a lot of variables, but we do know that when you sleep more, you feel better. And when you don't sleep more, you don't feel well. And there is so much data that this chronic sleep deprivation um, negatively impacts people, specifically adolescents. So um, that's 
I think those are the two biggest issues that we see. Um, there are studies, so there was just a study that came out um, in June that in one of the talks I referenced, um, it was titled Association of Longitudinal Sleep Trajectories with Risky Sexual Behavior During Adolescence. They found that um, lack of sleep increased um, sexual promiscuity and sexual risk-taking. Um, so that's another negative impact. Um, outside of all the physiologic, like health-related issues, a risk of obesity, growth suppression, um, increased inattention, so more ADHD-type symptoms, um, and you know, and then similar to education, like significant cognitive impairment. So all of these things seem to be not just worse with less sleep, but improved with more sleep, which is awesome. To think that we, there's something we could do about it. So you, you recommend? And now there are a lot of. Uh, obstacles that I have heard, uh, so I'll go through them, and uh, you can address some of them uh, from from your opinion. Um, well, first of all, uh, and we kind of alluded to this before, but one of the things that I've heard uh, is that, well, if you start school later, they'll just go to bed, uh, they'll just get, they, they're not going to get more sleep because they're going to stay up later, but your, your point is that that's a more natural in their sleep rhythm? Yeah, so it's a um, reasonable question that people will ask and say, if you delay school start times in the morning, will the kids then just stay up later? Um, and so there's a lot of evidence to the contrary to say that that's not true. So um, this has been studied over and over again. Seattle just did this, and they actually used Fitbits to measure pre- and post-sleep before they move school start times. Um, there uh, And of Could, the data that I could I could tell somewhere between let's say uh, sixty to seventy percent to a hundred percent of the delay, the kids actually will get that much more sleep. So, um, and there was a study in 2016 that looked at uh, kind of this meta-analysis of all the data um, at, of delaying sleep start times and what that meant to actual increased sleep, um, and it you know it. I just pulled up the article, does delaying school start times just make them go to bed later? That's the exact question yeah. you asked, and it was in Sleep Medicine, August of 2016. Um, school start times were delayed 25 to 60 minutes, and correspondingly, total sleep time increased 25 to 77 minutes per weeknight. So in general, um, the kids will get – you delay the school start times, the kids will get more sleep. So um, – and now – we mentioned it before. If you were going to, you don't really need to address uh, address this in elementary school children because their natural sleep sleep pattern is, and that they, they actually in most districts, I think they go to school a little bit later than the right. high school students. Correct. They're, so you, they're they're getting they're getting enough sleep. That's not the issue. Um, it is possible that they're 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 not getting enough kind of outdoor playtime because school starting later and then ending later for them. Um, which is why I don't think we have it aligned perfectly, but sleep is not an issue for them. So, and it, from your perspective, uh, we almost right. have it backwards in terms of this, the start times for the elementary and for the high school. It should be almost flipped from your perspective oh, yeah. that, that the high school go students go later, and then the elementary school students can go earlier for a variety of reasons. One, they could get more play time, and the other, but 
they they naturally go to bed earlier. Right. So physio- if we just talk about sleep, because this will – without talking about when school ends, because that opens up a whole other set of kind of issues and obstacles of like what are the things that have to happen after school. But, yes, so physiologically, um, the younger kids tend to have a earlier awakening time. So you know, anyone who uh, is a parent of young kids knows these kids are up. You know, you're hoping for them to sleep till 6 or 6.30. So, like, those kids – are naturally getting up at six could can na- could naturally um, get on a bus at a little after seven and ideally get home at two o'clock in the afternoon and have the afternoon to play where unfortunately what happens I think from a practical perspective is for schools that are starting those kids at nine or nine thirty and their kids are getting up at six parents are busy and those kids are just getting hours of screen time, just kind of sitting there watching TV or watching YouTube or playing video games um, and then getting home later and not having time outside where the adolescents are being forced to get up early when they want to be sleeping um, and not getting enough sleep. The problem, obviously, and you know, I know you'll next week you'll be addressing this and, you know, some of the success stories um, it would make most sense physiologically for the adolescents to start later, but there's things that the adolescents need to do. And so sports, sports, work, after-school activities are all there. So trying to find a balance is ideal of getting everybody enough sleep, getting everyone enough time after school to do the things that they need to do. And so um, uh, from your perspective, uh, there's really – is there any educational reason uh, – uh, to not move the start times. This is more no. – uh, so there, it's really more about the health. And in fact, from your perspective, the educational benefits would be greater if you move the start time later for students. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't be more emphatic about that. There is zero educational benefit to the kids starting early. Um, and there is a significant educational benefit to the kids starting later. There's a significant health benefit to the kids starting later. There's a significant benefit to athletic performance and reduction in injuries to the kids starting later. Now, there's lots of other variables in there. You know, again, there's the logistics of what does this mean for, you know, both sports, after-school activities, people's schedules, but if you removed all of those things, yes, it would make a heck of a lot more sense for people to start later. And um, to me, from a priority perspective, that's what I think we should be looking at because there are clearly ways that schools have been successful in mitigating some of those other obstacles. Uh, there's always concerns that things will go wrong when you do this. What are some of the things that uh, – the worries that people had about later school time that never even occurred? Um, so I, I think that they worried, you know, one, they worry about cost and that, that just takes research because the cost is almost the major cost is associated with, um, transportation issues. Right. Um, so that you just have to kind of figure out and look and see like, what are those, you know, possible transportation issues and, and how to, so they, they, they shouldn't, um, come up as a surprise, um, there's always, there's worries about participation in athletics, and again, there's a, just an article. There, there's it makes common sense that if you sleep more, you'll heal faster, you'll um, you'll have 
you'll be better in your athletic performance. Um, and there was actually just a New York Times article on Justin Verlander, who is an all-star pitcher for the Houston Astros, and it, this is uh, July 9th. This was like one of the head I story in the sports say, page. I heard the story too. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like you know, and it's he's called the sleep guru, and he's talking to you know uh, one of the hitters on his team, and who said like he he only had a one home run, and he was sleeping six hours a night. Justin said, "Hey, you got to sleep ten you know ten hours a night, get your sleep." And he started doing that and hit thirty home runs. So, which we can't promise you know thirty home runs to everybody, but they're like from a major league perspective, like even at that level, sleep makes a huge difference. But it did not relate in um, less sports participation or fewer games won um it did not, it definitely did not um end up where teens stay up later so that was one of the things you had asked me um participation in school activities didn't change um people there's always the concern about well they won't be able to get to their job or their activities the community related activities start at different times those community related activities and jobs are typically geared around whatever the school district times are so they just shift you know, along with whatever the school is doing. And, and we're talking about, for most cases, you know, moving things an hour. Like an hour for in the, the reality, everything else, can you, you can find ways to accommodate that. Uh, and um, so just how did some districts, and I, I'll, I'll spend more time on this, but how did some districts overcome some of these obstacles? Because I think the obstacles that the two biggest ones I hear are three are – Obviously, the athletics, the transportation uh, issue, and also sometimes the schedule of the parents and the teachers. That they get. Right. So just re – you mentioned that some of how they did it, but let's address each one of those. Yeah. So first let me say I think you're right. I think that there are three or four categories of obstacles other – other than the the one major obstacle, which is like change is hard, and so people are used to things, and this takes effort and coordination. Like if you're going to do it right, which I think people should do, and I think we should look into it, it is it takes effort to switch this. But so outside of the fact that it takes energy and motivation to change, um, the first issue is transportation, because I think that that's how we ended up here. So. From a transportation perspective, most school districts are running either two routes, so they have two staggered start times, or three. I think the most bigger school districts generally run three staggered start times. So you then have to look at it and say, how am I going to, from a transportation perspective, figure this out? Um, the If you're going to stay within three routes – you have to then look and say, can you be, can you spend the time and energy making your routes as efficient as possible? So you need to really the, – the townships need to work with their transportation people and figure out where they could shave off time if there's better ways to cohort kids so you reduce the amount of time. Um, you know, towns will say that, like, schools will start at 7.20, 7.30, and buses are showing up to school at 6.40, like, with the kids on it. 30 minutes ahead of the school start time. So, you know, can you make the routes more efficient, giving the kids pick the latest possible pickup time so they have more time to sleep? Um, if you're going to keep to three routes, and most of the time that means that you have the youngest kids at one start time, the middle 
middle kids at another and the high school kids at a third, then you figure out which times are best. You know, to, from a physiologic perspective, youngest, middle, old would make the most sense in terms of the staggered start times, but that we then have to go into the second step, which is the sports and the after-school activities. So um, you can look at that and see, can you make it from a transportation perspective? Not changing routes usually does not increase cost. If you're going to drop a route and go from three different start times to two, that'll buy you almost always more sleep, but then you have to figure out what the cost associated with it is. So that's the first thing, and that is usually administration, board of ed, transportation people looking together, trying to analyze that and see what could be done. The second issue is once you understand what your start time is, you understand what your possible end times are, mm-hmm. um, and you could then look and see what can you do about it. So certain townships have done um, neat things where they've delayed their start times but shaved off time from the actual hours of school. So clearly not from you know mandatory educational time, um, but they've said, hey, maybe we don't need homeroom, or we could really shorten homeroom, or maybe we could shave two minutes off in between each period um, so that we could delay school start by 50 minutes but end the day only 30 minutes later. Um, so that's one option. Um, there are, for the athletics, um, they can look at like these option two programs where they could say, can we find ways to count the sports instead of gym and make gym the last period? Other school districts have rotated the schedule so that if you're missing your last period because you have to go to away games, um, it's not the same period that you're missing Work, um, school districts have worked with the other schools in the conferences to say, look, we're going to be there. We're going to be half an hour late, so um, kind of work with us. We'll do our best to get there on time. Often schools will send, from a sports perspective, all three grades, fresh, I mean, all three teams, freshmen, JV, and varsity, to the same event with two buses and two of the you know freshmen and JV are waiting around while seniors play and you know vice versa. Where um, so they'll look at they'll talk to the other districts and say, hey, if we have the capacity to play two games at the same time, let's get another ref in there. We have open fields or we have you know two gyms that we can run two basketball games at the same time. Um, so they they do intricate things like that to say to kind of make things. Less, less of a significant impact on sports. And then they'll do things like limiting practice and say, you know what, maybe the kids don't need to practice on a given day for two and a half hours. You know, let's give the coaches and uh, students more time back in their day and limit practice to just 90 minutes. Make it, you know, as effective a practice as it was before, but just more succinct. Just like, you know, th- that's the way a lot of training is these days. People are pushing towards um, shorter interval training as opposed to these kind of long marathon bouts of um, physical training. Yeah. Um, so that's a lot of work. Some of yeah. will take time. Right. And so, yep. but uh, from your perspective, the, the benefit is for the health and educational benefit of the student is worth some of that work. Yeah. I, I, All that I, work, I, think I should say. I I couldn't agree with that sentiment more. So you're look, there is the whole purpose of everything that we're doing from us as both as parents and as educators and as you know people who 
care about the health and well-being of children is to just help them be better, both to learn to be in a good spot for mental health, to help them be in good physical health, and everything Every single thing is aligned with them getting more sleep and for the adolescents shifting to a later school start time. All the other issues, sports and schedules, are important, but they're secondary. That's not the prime goal of what we're meant to do in the school system. So I think all this stuff is clearly worth it. And lots of schools have shown us how they can make it work. And so um, the though it does take effort to do this, I I think that if we're going to be in a position of responsibility in charge of students, I think the the students often don't have a voice. Like they're relying on us to make to the adults in the room to make good decisions for them. And I think it's I think we should go through the effort and um, exercise of finding ways to make it better. You know, there's one thing I, I didn't mention, and we talked about the natural sleep rhythm of of the student. Uh, and that sometimes it's hard for them to go sleep. But uh, you also talk about sleep hygiene, and we haven't really discussed that. Uh, there are other things that affect students' sleep, uh, social media and the smartphone. Uh, right. So could you explain what sleep hygiene is? Yeah, so um, when sleep therapists – so it, in pediatrics, we – talk about sleep a lot, you know, and it doesn't make a difference the age. You know, we have, you know, starting from like infants and toddlers, the parents are trying to get the kids to sleep through the night so they can go to sleep. And this concept of sleep hygiene is um, trying to make sure that you're following good sleep practices. So typical good sleep practices for everybody are that you exercise throughout the day, that your bed that your bedroom and your bed are for sleeping Um, and so that you go to sleep at a consistent time when your body is typically ready to go to sleep. And so, again, that changes based on age, that when you get into your room, it's cool, it's dark, you can get into bed, you can fall asleep, you can fall asleep pretty quickly and stay asleep. Lots of things can um, interfere with that kind of sleep hygiene. So um, exercising late, So, so sometimes these are out of definitely out of the school's control and often out of a lot of parents' control, but late practices, late games, like it's impossible to come home from you know ice hockey because you had rink time at ten o'clock at night and say that you need to go right to sleep. So you know being cognizant of when exercise happens and then things like social media. So the kids should be off electronics, ideally a half an hour, so 30 to 60 minutes before they go to sleep. So their mind has time to kind of uh, wind itself down. And we're re- we're removing some of these lights, which inhibit melatonin release, um, So we, which we already talked about. So it could only, it, it can't, doesn't make it better. You can't shift that up earlier than that 10, 10.30 or 10.30, 11, but you can sh- clearly shift it later if you're having lights and your body is saying, all right, it's not time to go to sleep yet. Um, social media also just for the kids who are constantly posting things on Instagram, Snapchat, and they're waiting for a response. They're waiting for someone to like it or they get a response that riles them up. They are so in tuned and sensitive to their peers and what the responses are that they, they get really energized or anxious or upset and they can't fall asleep. Um, so we want to work on all of those things 
consistent bedtime, getting the kids off social media and all electronics an hour before sleep, having them kind of read in a quiet spot, get into bed, um, and all that is helpful for everyone to kind of establish good sleep good sleep habits. But again, the the idea is that even if you were perfect with that as an adolescent, you couldn't fall asleep at nine o'clock. Like there, because of your circadian rhythm shift, it's still going to be ten thirty. It could be later than that if you you know mess around with it, but it can't really be much earlier than that. And that's probably something that we should be, from your perspective, also teaching parents and 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 others uh, and the students about sleep hygiene. Oh yeah. So I am. Um, when schools ask me, like, I think schools chat should and can be part of like the mental health home, and they do it in a couple of different ways. So one of them is I think schools have this imperative imperative to give education to both students and parents about um, kind of mental health education and sleep hygiene. So this is one of the things that they could do is they could talk about um, why sleep is important and how to maximize and get good sleep um, in uh, one of the schools, the uh, where I'm the school physician, um, the school one of the school principals has kind of gotten a team of a few other school principals and the technology person and myself, and we give a talk after orientation on social media, just trying to remind families about it's their decision if they're going to get kids phones, but we want to um, educate them that a they don't need phones in the schools, so in the in Montgomery Township third, fourth, fifth. At fifth and sixth, the um, school phones are not allowed, so that the parents don't have to be have the wool pulled over their eyes by the students saying, "Oh, you'll they'll need a phone for school." Um, and some of the downsides of having phones and access to social media—it's their decision of what to do. But we're trying to educate them on the concept of delaying that till the kids are a little bit more mature, or if not, at least what to be aware of and how to try to consider to do it as safely as possible. All right, we're getting towards the end of our time. Is there uh, any other thing that we haven't covered that you want me to, that you think uh, people should know about? No, I, I think you know. I don't. I think it is hard to refute the evidence and the hypothesis that this is good. Like there's not, you know. Th- so there's expert policies that American Academy of Pediatrics, the CDC, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, all saying. For they actually say for middle and high school kids, school so teens and up, school time should be delayed till 8:30. I think the idea is it's because of these physiologic shifts in circadian rhythms, and which doesn't change. It does not. No matter you can't the kids cannot get themselves onto this schedule, so they will learn better, be healthier, have better mental health, better athletic performance if we could do it. Um, I think the evidence is there. I think it is up to the townships now to say this is important and let's find a way to do it and and remembering that there are lots of evidence of schools who have done this successfully. So though it seems at times almost insurmountable, it is really not. um, It's doable. I think it takes 
a village. So I think it needs you need the administrators and board and parents and you need the ADs and the coaches to get together and say, like, how do we find the best fit for our community? Um, but I think if we remember our priorities, I think it's totally doable. You know, someone did pass a question on to me, and I, I should ask this. Uh, the, the sleep rhythm is a little different for boys, yeah. uh, males and females. And one right. of the things is males tend to do not as good in high school, uh, and they need and their rhythms a little. They need a little bit more sleep. Right. Uh, and uh, now I know you probably would say, "It might." They go, "Is that tied to their sleep?" Because we're asking them to perform right. uh, academically uh, while their bodies do. Uh, they should be in bed. Uh, yeah, you know, I I don't know. Um, so I will I will always try to give accurate evidence. So I sure sounds like it's plausible. So we do know it, when they they talk about adolescent girls' sleep rhythms are maybe are they think are about two hours phase shifted, where boys could be three hours. So with that evidence, if there's evidence that boys generally don't function as well as girls in school academically or is it possible that that's related to sleep sure is and I, you know i think it's hard to figure that one out but god knows pushing sleep time back a little bit would only help yeah or pushing okay. school start uh, times back a little bit yes and um uh finally uh someone if it's school districts looking to do this, how should they approach it? Should they go a little, should they study, uh, do a survey? Should they just uh, survey the parents or get to sleep, find out what people are actually doing now? All right, so this is, uh, uh, this is opinion, and this is, and this is just about how to affect change. Um, I think interested in looking at this, the way I would tackle it is I would start by having the board, it's typically the Board of Ed who ultimately has the power to make these decisions. I would look at the evidence. Um, I think the evidence is irrefutable and say, and it, so the first thing is I would commit to, is it worthwhile for us to do? If they get to that point that it's worthwhile for them to do, I would transportation question next and say, what are our transportation and what are our possible options? Um, and I would quickly try to figure out some possible options. I think it is hard to open the door to kind of communication with, you know, a lot of people get will get frazzled about like, how is this going to work and how are we going to do it? I think having some tangible potential options that are feasible. So figuring out, can you without cost look at your transportation and move things around and what would that mean? And if you had, to, if there is a cost to changing the transportation, what is that? Um, once the, once that group of people, the board with the school has figured that out, if they've made a commitment to um, saying this is the right thing for the collective health and well-being and education of our students, I think then you start to put it out to um, the community because before you implement, you want to get all the stakeholders involved. But I think you frame it, A, with the science. We're doing this because of these facts, and you could – they could link it to your podcast so they can listen to us talking mm -hmm. um, and see why. But they figure you put it with the science, and then you say, now let's give some concrete – You know, we'll survey with concrete 
questions about what your schedules are so we know as we're figuring out, trying to mitigate any obstacles. And that I would say all that as opposed to I worry if school districts survey people and just say, hey, do you think we should do this? Without the education about why it's beneficial, I think most people will just say, we're fine as it is. Don't change. Mm-hmm. I like my schedule. Um, so I would, I would be reluctant. I, I would, I think town, schools or towns should be reluctant to do that without framing it in the right perspective of here's the science. We're committed to doing this. We want to look into it. Now we want your opinions about how you think it should work, what your issues would be, and then you get, uh, you make sure you involve all the stakeholders in those decisions so you you come up with the best solution for everybody. Okay. That brings us to the end of this program. Uh, Dr. Mandelbaum, I'd really like to thank you for joining us. Uh, I, I did not know much about sleep and uh, its effect until I had this presentation. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, very. you're very welcome, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to um, talk about it, um, hopefully you know, through kind of – sessions like these and I know you're doing another one next week we get out more education and for any you know boards who or boards or administrators who are listening please think about it you know that's the first step is to to do your due diligence think about it the evidence is there the policies are there and um, I think as a voice of the students I think everyone would be better if we do this so I appreciate your time Ray I th- appreciate your joining so yep. that brings us to the end of the program. So I uh, hope everyone enjoyed it, and I uh, hope you tune in next week. All right. Thanks, Ray. Bye now. Bye. Yep. Take care.